0: Hi, this is Rabbi Deborah Waxman. The holiday of Shavuot is approaching. This year on the secular calendar, it begins on Saturday evening, May 19th. On Shavuot, we celebrate receiving the Torah, the foundational text of the Jewish people. Torah has multiple meanings in Jewish tradition. Most folks know it refers to the five books of Moses, but Torah in a broader sense is much more. It's the collection of each and every generation's engagement with sacred text and with our efforts to live lives of holiness and connection to each other and to the divine. In that expansive spirit, we're bringing you a two-part podcast series leading up to Shavuot. In this week's episode, I speak with Rabbi Jeremy Schwartz about modern Hebrew poetry, a recent expression of Jewish text. We talk about how modern Hebrew poets take apart traditional language and ideas and create something new using ancient building blocks. And in next week's episode, Rabbi Mira Wasserman and I discuss Midrash, the way ancient rabbis read Torah in new and creative ways, giving old words new meaning, new life, new relevance. Shavuot is known as Zman Matan Torah Tenu, the season of the gift of Torah. I hope that these interviews help to show the resilience within Judaism to create and recreate, and that they help you to join in the ongoing and sacred conversation that makes Torah. Your listening, your comments to me have truly been a gift to me. Thanks so much for listening. Chag Sameach. <laughs>
1: Israeli culture is very different about. Book is very much part of the common culture. It's not an elite, an intellectual activity, and I've definitely heard stories of Israelis going into the army and what do they take with them to put in their pocket a little pocket copy of a poet of Yudah Michai, for example, as a little guide they take with them. I think that's one of the things that makes it also a rich resource then for for American Jews as well.
0: I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashi Venu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. Today, I'm so happy to welcome my friend and my colleague and my teacher, Rabbi Jeremy Schwartz, who serves as the rabbi of Temple B'nai Israel in Willimantic, Connecticut. Jeremy and I have known each other a long time, and one of the first things I learned about him is his deep interest in Hebrew poetry, and he has really incorporated it in creative and in vitalizing ways throughout his rabbinical work. He's also translated the work of many Hebrew poets into English. Jeremy, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks, Deborah. I'm really honored.
0: I'd love to just dive in and start to talk about what draws you to Hebrew poetry, What draws you to poetry? I think we can probably lose the adjective there. And if we could talk a little bit about why we think it's a rich resource for cultivating resilience.
1: Sure. I I wish I remembered when I started uh, being attracted to Hebrew poetry. When when Yudami Chai, the great Israeli poet, first came into my life. I, I don't really know. Poetry is amazing. Poetry gives us a way of meaning and creating meaning and receiving meaning that's different from our our other ways. It's uh, different from philosophy. It's different from theology. It's very related to other literature. It somehow breaks down the barriers of the boxes that we create for the world of the Greek syllogisms, A and B, and therefore C, and lets us access things that we didn't realize were there, different connections. Opens our, opens our eyes in a different way to the world. So that that's, I think, what's always been important to me about it is it wakes you up. It's one of the things I think that makes poetry hard to talk about sometimes, to analyze for some people. I know that there's a world of folks who find poetry a scary concept because it goes in, in its own direction. It speaks to the heart in a, in a certain way, and if you're trying to understand it rationally, you might not get there. I'll say that this aspect of being put off maybe by poetry. It's partly a cultural thing, and, and I'd mentioned Israeli culture is very different about book It's very much part of the Common culture. It's not an elite, an intellectual activity. And I've definitely heard stories of Israelis going into the army, and what do they take with them to put in their pocket? As a little pocket copy of a poet, of Yehuda Michai, for example, as a little guide they take with them. It's a part of the culture, and I think that I think that's one of the things that makes it also a rich resource then for for American Jews as well, because it speaks to everyone, religious not religious, intellectual not intellectual.
0: We're going to spend. Part of our time today talking about poetry, but as you said, you know, talking about it is a different experience than immersing yourself in it. So before we go any further, can I ask you to share one of your favorite poems in translation? We'll post the original as well as the translation on our website for the podcast.
1: You know, let me read a very brief uh, poem that I don't know if it's one of my favorites or not, but I think speaks to this notion of just poetry waking us up, opening our eyes in in an important way. This is uh, by the Israeli poet Israel Elirad that I spent uh, some time translating a a book of his, uh, and the poem says this, I see how the scene seeks to be seen and takes one step forward. And then he has another little segment of that same passage that says, here, by the table, by the egg, by the name, by the dishes, by the basket, by the horrors, by the tinged and staggering, by the memory of things, by their ripple. As in myth, this morning memory sends questions along wires of answers. Truly, there is something else going on here. The everyday is the sweet world's membrane. Mm. You know, so both those pieces by Ellie Ross are About that, there's something. What is that something else going on here? And and uh, in a in an extended interview with another poet, Eliot says that the material raises something for you. And what is it? It's the material. I mean, it's, can you actually open your eyes to what's around you? We we walk around by habit, by in a fog. You know, so much of the time, not paying attention. And uh, then sometimes we're able to stop and say, Wow what is this? Any Anything in front of you could be a miracle, The the paper in front of me is a miracle. It's related. I, I did listen to the first podcast about Shabbat, and Rabbi Staub talks about Shabbat as a time when you take that space that opens up the miracle, right? And the poetry then itself does that. It, it reminds you, and in that second piece, the miraculousness of existence might uh, contain... Uh, what he says, uh, horror tinged and staggered by memory, but you still open your eyes in amazement.
0: Um. Well, when I was thinking about, you know, why bring poetry to this conversation about resilience, and I think that for myself about that, that I turn to poetry sometimes for inspiration, sometimes for consolation, and that that dynamic interchange that sometimes twin sides of the same experience. That's the definition of resilience, I think. You know, committing yourself to making meaning out of everything we encounter.
1: And thinking about this conversation, I, I was reminded of a passage in uh, Larry Kushner's Book of Words, and he has a section, the Hebrew title of the section is Seder, Order, and uh, his English title is Remembering. Memory is the Connection. Meaning comes from what something is connected to. Something unconnected, unassociated with, unrelated to anything, is literally meaningless. Conversely, something connected, associated, linked with many things, is supercharged with meaning. And then he works through how memory works, and ordering our memories, and telling our stories, and telling our great story of... Of Exodus at the Seder. you know, and so that that is right that's what poetry does it It connects things that maybe we didn't realize we're connected uh and uh, yeah allows us to make meaning. I want to talk about one of the classic characteristics of of Hebrew poetry, which is its use of old words in new ways. In the Middle Ages, they had a technical term called "schiboz, which has to do with inlaying gemstones in a, in a piece of jewelry, and so they would inlay biblical quotations or quotations from the liturgy or from or other sources in their poetry and, um, and make it new. So it might be a poetry about romance, love, sex, wine, uh, war, education, anything. And uh but they would build it somehow out of these gems of our tradition that, that make the whole experience new and and shine and in a way. Um my uh our, our teacher, uh, Arie Long, uh, talks about um in Hebrew he calls it Peruk the Peruk is pulling things apart and tikkun is repair, like tikun Olam, repair of the world. And um and uh, one of us came up with the translation deconstruction and reconstruction. And uh, Ari is a, a believer that you need both of those. Um, our our freedom demands deconstruction. It demands peruk, being able to uh, say, but wait a second, just because our ancestors put the box this way doesn't mean that's going to work for us or for me. Right now, you have to be able to pull the blocks apart, but uh, just leaving them scattered on the floor doesn't do very much good. And so, you need also tikkun, the the reconstruction and and, uh, and the new structure that's built with the old bricks somehow has some of their uh, some of their meaning, some of their weight, some of their holiness. And I I think that's been a core piece about what's so wonderful about. Uh, about Hebrew poetry for centuries, that that ability to take apart, to deconstruct, and then to make new sikun through poetry. And, and that's right. That's also resilience, isn't it? It's, that's exactly um, right. That's right. Right.
0: It's funny. I When I think about resilience, I'm often thinking about it from the lens of you know, either catastrophe, or to use a less dramatic word, just you know, a uh, challenge. Something hard has happened, either on a personal level or on a communal level, and we need resilience to bring ourselves or our community back to life. But resilience is also the ability to renew ourselves, and that certainly hashivenu is ab- about renewal. And you're talking about how the undergirding language and concepts can be reconstructed, can be taken apart and put back together to either better suit the moment or joyfully suit the moment, you know, whether or not it's better or worse, just most happily suit the moment. I guess I want to ask you to talk a little bit about liturgy. I mean, you were talking about the medieval poets and much of their production got incorporated into our daily prayer book, especially our Shabbat prayer book, when there was more time to luxuriate over poetry. We see a lot yep. of it in the High Holiday, High Holiday. the Machsor there in the High Holiday prayer book. and But I think part of what I've seen you do, and we see it in the Reconstructionist prayer book, is that contemporary poetry becomes stands in for the liturgy, not not only gets incorporated into it, but becomes part and parcel of it, or in sometimes even replaces the contemporary liturgy.
1: Right, you can go various steps. I want to start by acknowledging the, the more traditional. I mean, I'm thinking of L'cha Dodi poem that's, you know, one of the for people who go out to Friday night services, they probably have heard L'cha Dodi, a, a welcoming poem for Shabbat and uh, come, my beloved, to meet the bride. We'll greet, we'll accept the face of Shabbat. So, Lechad Dodi is a, a 16th century by a Kabbalist, Al Kabeg, in Tzat, in Israel. And it does exactly that that magical thing. It, it, uh, it opens up a hidden world, and it can work on various levels. At its surface level, it's it's a poem that celebrates Shabbat, that expects redemption, that gives consolation to uh, an exiled people, that pictures a, a redeemed Jerusalem and Zion. And then if you do know the source texts, uh, both in Tanakh and the, uh, the Kabbalist source texts, but especially Tanakh, then it starts to make another level of, of connections, I'll give uh, I'll give one example. There's a verse, Mikdash Nalch Irmucha, the sanctuary of the of the sovereign or of the king, a a royal city. So on the surface level, we think that Jerusalem, but actually, if you go back in the source in the Tanakh, the Bible uh, source, you'll discover that both those phrases don't refer to Jerusalem, one refers to Amman, Jordan, and one refers to Bethel, the site of the uh, rebellious in the of Hebrew Bible of Tanakh, uh, the rebellious temple uh, of the Northern Kingdom. And you know, and so the poet is saying, doesn't matter where you are.
0: Mm.
1: You could be in Amman, you could be in Bethel, you could be in Rome in New York. Still, somehow, that Beth- Jerusalem is actually there. That, that's the, that's where the divine presence is, where you are, in, you know, in, in this hidden world. he says, get up and and leave the upside down world, the the upturned world, where it looks like it's just a whatever it is around you, the the trouble. And notice that there's something again, like uh, Eliyahu says, there's something else going on here. Mm you know so so to insert that into the liturgy that that was already in the, in, in that century an incredible radical wonderful thing so even liturgical poetry is already a, you know have been a, a big renewal um and uh right so if, if in the reconstructionist world or other liberal judaisms we've continued to do that we're we're actually we're not we're not inventing we're continuing something that Jews have been doing to say well in in our language, in our time, in our worldview, how do we continue to open up whatever the divine is, uh, the renewing and life-giving process?
0: Is there another poem you'd like to share?
1: I would. That's great. Well, since I, I talk so much about Amichai, I feel like we should read at least one. This is Tourists by Yud Amichai, one of his uh, most well-known poems this translation is by benjamin and barbara harshav they come here to visit the mourners they sit in yad vashem wear brave faces at the wailing wall and laugh behind curtains and hotel rooms they take pictures with the important dead at rachel's tomb and at hertel's tomb and ammunition hill weep for the beautiful heroism of our boy lust for our tough girl and hang their underwear for fast drying in a blue-cold bathroom. Once I sat on the stairs at the gate of David's tower and put two heavy baskets next to me. A group of tourists stood there around their guide, and I served as their orientation point. You see that man with the basket? A bit to the right of his head. There's an arch from the Roman period, a bit to the right of his head. But he moves. He moves. I said to myself, "Redemption will come only when they are told." You see over there the the art from the Roman period. Never mind. But next to it, a bit to the left and lower, sits a man who bought vegetables and fruit for his home.
0: Ah, oh, so lovely. I mean, for me, that that moment, he moves. He moves. Like how, how it's, I know. It's this living process. The poetry, if it, it's a snapshot, it, it captures just a moment that's gone, the next moment.
1: Yeah. And right, and the tourists object, right? <laughs> he moves. We don't want to look at you, Dami <laughs> <laughs> Right? So us a stone.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and redemption only comes when you say, oh, man, let's look at the guy, at the, at the human right. being, at the moment, at the life. And that, and tell me that's what his poetry, so much of his poetry and, and his whole generation of poets does is they make our lives to be the orienting I mean the the object, right? Our our history is, is the tool. It's not it's not we're the tool to serve the history, it's the mm-hmm. <laughs> history is the tool to serve to serve us, right? And so the Jerusalem arch is the way to find U or to find a, a human being, right? This Elirath talks about, um, he uh, he objected a little bit to this whole process of Hebrew poetry, right, where, where things are built out of the old bricks, and, and it can get so complicated that if you don't know the old bricks, you have no idea what's going on. And he says, can't I, can't I speak about place without it being hamakom, you know, a, a rabbinic name for the Holy Blessed One? Can't I speak about house without... It being the Beit Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, uh, you know, he wants to be able to just be in that moment. But uh, can't I, can't I walk in a desert without having to be 40 years with our ancestors? But the right and but uh, Amichai and, and that group of of poets, so many Israeli and, and really even medieval poets. It's not that they make themselves walk in the desert with our ancestors. It's that they make our ancestors walk with us. Lovely.
0: lovely. Uh, I, right. I mean, when people ask me, why I, am I religious? You know, I, I hear a lot, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And one of the things that I say why I, I am religious is because I want to join myself to something larger than myself. I want yeah. to be a part of a larger conversation that ultimately points toward the ultimate. I mean, I'm profoundly anti-fundamentalist, so it's I can be no more confident than saying pointing toward the ultimate. I believe there are a lot of different pathways toward that ultimate. But I want to be in a conversation that situates me in this very conversation where it's me in conversation with Amichai with the stones, with the tourists, they're all part of the conversation, right. and I want to recognize the holiness of that. Even as it's also frustrating sometimes or painful sometimes. And um, yep. I want to I want to make certain that we have time to talk about practice because the, at the end of the day, uh, this is a podcast that aims to identify practices for people if they're so drawn to incorporate into their lives. Right. You know, you and I have a friend and a colleague, Professor Jeffrey Schulson, who I know makes a practice of Posting, I think it's daily, just on a very regular basis, poems from across the breadth of world literature on his Facebook page, and I really think of that as a very redemptive practice. And when I'm, when I think I'm in my most open-hearted place, rather than in a sucked up into social media and just kind of scrolling through maximum um, amounts of information feeding my brain, I read the poems, and I and I feel like my worldview is usually. And usually, I sign off after that. I stop looking at Facebook. It's kind of an antidote. Right. I think. Okay. I've,
1: I've got. The- <laughs> Something important, finally. Right,
0: right. That's his practice, and I wanted to talk about you know if you had any suggestions for people about yep. incorporating poetry into some kind of personal practice.
1: It's uh, it's just reading, you know. So um, if uh, people are interested in in reading more, there are a couple of really good anthologies of the whole spread of Hebrew poetry. There's a Penguin Book of Hebrew Verse that I've. Liked quite a bit. There are uh, various anthologies of uh, more contemporary, specifically Israeli, or the last revival of Hebrew period, the last 150 years or so. If people are interested in Yehuda Michai, this great uh, poet uh, who uh, passed away only 10, 15 years ago, I can't remember exactly the date. His last book is really a tour de force, an incredible book, and it's available in English. Is open, closed, open. Mm-hmm. Online, people want to surf around uh, Hebrew poetry. I've, I've got a couple of websites uh, to recommend. Uh, there's uh, a site called PoetryInternationalWeb.net. You can search by country, click Israel, and actually it's not only Israel. They've got uh, they've got all kinds of older Hebrew poetry as as well pre pre Israel, uh, even Ibn Gvirah, who was mentioned in that last poem. Uh, Golden Age of Spain, thousand years ago. Poet uh, is in the Israel section. Um, there's a blog that I quite like called Soul and Gone by, I think his name is Michael Ya'ari, S O U L and mm-hmm. Gone, D O N E. Um, he's a, a very talented uh, translator. I often turn to him if I am not going to do my own translation and hope that somebody's done one. And a, a quite broad range of of material. So those are those are some places to dip in to surf around. I want to mention also. I mean, it, you know, if you're in if you're in Jewish community and you talked about where do you go beyond literature, I, I did want to mention something that my community does. We're a Reconstructionist community uh, in Eastern Connecticut, and uh, we started discovering that we had a good solid group of people who were interested in coming and praying some, you know, fairly traditional service on Saturday morning, but Friday night. We uh, didn't have that group of people, and yet people wanted to meet Friday night. They wanted to make sure that every Friday night and every Saturday morning you could come and say Kaddish if you wanted to say Kaddish. And, and so we decided, what are we going to do with all these Jews and uh, fellow travelers who are cultural but not daveners, not traditional worshipers in any sense? And so we started a rotation of a Friday night Shabbos things, Shabbos celebration. Uh, and so one of them is, uh, once a month, is called TGI Shabbos, and um, and it's a wine and cheese celebration. We say Kiddush over um, over good uh, wine or, or sparkling grape juice. Manashevitz is banned. It has to be something <laughs> a little better. But although there are folks who love Manishavitz, mm-hmm. that's okay, but on TGI Shabbos, we don't allow Manishavitz. It's one of the rules. And... Uh, and we listen to uh, we listen to uh, some music and people eat and schmooze wine and cheese and things and uh, and then I teach the text of one of the songs that we do, that we've done so um, I might teach that song for Dova that we just did if it were a song it happens that it's not yet but maybe it will be um, I might teach a, a medieval Yemenite song Innin Alu if the gates of the leaders are locked, the gates of heaven are not locked. A, a wonderful important text by Shalom Shabazi, a seventeenth century Yemenite poet all over the place. Secular Israeli poet, everything. And so you know, so a community might might decide to celebrate Shabbat with with poetry. Mm-hmm. A song and poetry and wine and uh And that's been very successful, actually,
0: for us. That sounds like a wonderful practice. And absolutely, you know, community building and and nourishing to each participant sounds wonderful.
1: Should we we close with the end of this uh, poem, The Jews, by Amichai?
0: Sure, that's a great way to end.
1: So Amichai has a poem called The Jews, Hayyudim. That addresses some of the trauma, for sure, of our Jewish history. But then at the end, he says, "Uh, Some time ago, I met a beautiful woman whose grandfather performed my circumcision long before she was born. I told her, you don't know me and I don't know you, but we are the Jewish people, your grandfather and I, the circumcised, and you, the beautiful granddaughter with golden hair. We are the Jewish people. And what about God? Once we sang, there is no God like ours. In now we sang, there is no God of ours. Ain't but we sing. We still sing. Mm. I mean, high in the in the secular Israeli context, uh, unlike what you'll hear very much in our context, you know, says we don't we don't we don't sing An We don't think There is no God like ours because we're not we're not so sure. We might even sing There is no God like ours. But uh, in some ways, it it, it even that isn't isn't the the core as we wrestle with meaning. It's that uh, we're together and we're still singing. I, I find that very even as an in Calogano singer, I find it very inspiring.
0: That we're that we're together and we're we're whatever it is we're doing, we're doing it together. And the conversation is both with the people in the room around us and with the people who came before us and presumably the people who come after us.
1: Yes. Um, so.
0: Thank you so much for this conversation, for the um extraordinary poems that you brought and the others that you referred to we'll We'll bring them all together on the website so that people dive in more deeply and i just I hope to be with you sometime on t g i Shabbos to, for for that uh, for that experience Excellent. and uh, just thank you for your insights and the the poems that you brought
1: yeah, thank you it has been a a perfect uh It's a pleasure and honor to uh, explore poetry with you.
0: Hmm. You can find more resources on this topic on reconstructingjudaism.org and on ritualwell.org. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashi Venu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience.